Welcome to Houston, PA, Houston's public affairs show, an iHeartMedia broadcast. Our disclaimer says that the opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those held by this radio station, its management staff, or any of its advertisers. My name is Laurent. I am the Texan from France, and I am welcoming Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston, an organization you can find online at bgcgh.org, bgcgh.org, which of course stands for Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. They are one of the major mentoring and after-school programs in the city and, in fact, in the country. And they are tremendously successful because they're able to impart uh, the mentoring talents and educations of the people that work for the organization and tap into the potential of the children who participate in these programs. And most of them are kids from, from underserved neighborhoods, which is one of the euphemisms they use for poor neighborhoods. And if we're going to look at the problem of poverty, we need to discuss the idea that the children who are living in poverty need to have access to opportunities to break that cycle of the poverty. And uh, an organization like Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston shows that you can break the cycle of poverty simply by offering mentorship to children. We'll talk a little bit about all these issues and about the tremendous success that they're having. And we welcome their new chairman of the board. His name is Julius Young. He is a chairman of the board of Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. And he's the first Boys and Girls Club kid to become chairman of the board, which I think is, is proof of concept in, in one man. And with him is Will Levin. He is a member of the board of directors of Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. And he also serves on the executive committee and he chairs the development committee and he's a numbers guy. Uh, I'll start with Julius Young though. Congratulations on your appointment. You must be pretty, and your family must be pretty proud of you for this particular honor. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Well, first of all, thank you for having us. That's um, a privilege. Yeah, it, it's uh, obviously a huge honor, and it's a very humbling experience. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, what drives me and gives me a lot of pride isn't that accomplishment. It's the 25,000 kids that we serve on a daily basis, or excuse me, on an annual basis. Um, you know, the fact that we're able to touch that many lives and end up, impact that many futures is a huge source of pride for me. So it's been a great journey so far, and I just look forward to continuing to being yeah. able to contribute any way I can. You know, if you watch TV, we don't really talk about these these solutions. And I, I sort of consider that education might fix all of our problems. If we could just give the opportunity to this generation that is growing up right now to learn how to fix our problems tomorrow, they're going to do that. Yeah, I mean, so I'm of the view that a lot of children don't need a whole lot. But what they need are some very important elements. They need stability. They need to have healthy relationships. They need a place to feel safe. And a lot of them will thrive. Yeah. Right? Automatically. Automatically. And a lot of the things that we can take for granted for those of us that have not grown up or been exposed to some of these economically challenged areas within Houston, um, we take a lot of that stuff for granted, right? We take for granted what's in our refrigerator every day. Oh, yeah. And it's not just a poverty question. It's also a question of... Uh, other challenges like drugs, gangs, and other situations that these kids are growing up where if you can just place them in a physical environment to let them thrive, they'll do it. They'll do it. Yeah. And I've seen these kids been, be remarkably resilient over time, and it's something that drives you um, in terms of wanting to support this organization. You know, one, if I can tell a story, Go one ahead. of the great stories that um, I've been exposed to. So I grew up, uh, went to the clubs as a 13-year-old, spent some time there, was moving around a fair bit, 
And, um, you know, the 1980s in Los Angeles was very similar to what's going on in Chicago today, right, in terms of gun violence. So, you know, for me, being able to have a place to go after school was pretty important from just a safety perspective and also gave me some stability. So I remember that, um, went off to college, did some volunteering there. And then as a parent, I got exposed to the Boys and Girls Club by getting my son involved as well. So I thought I had a pretty good perspective on what this organization was about, right? I'd been there as a kid, uh, volunteered, and been a parent. And for me, when I first joined this board after relocating from Los Angeles to Houston, uh, good one move. Of the, that's right. <laughs> one of the things they uh, asked me to do was to get involved with our Youth of the Year campaign, which essentially is a nomination process for our youth throughout our 22 clubs to be our Youth of the Year, and then they compete in regionals, and then finally Texas, and then nationally. So I said, absolutely, I'll do it. And I'm not sure what I expected to, to, to see and read in the process, but they handed me uh, six envelopes of the six kids who were the finalists for this. And I remember racing back to my office, got in my chair, and I thought, let me read up on some of these kids so I can be prepared to ask them the questions the next uh, week when we got together. And I opened up the first envelope, and I couldn't get past the first page. Um, I couldn't necessarily process what I was reading. So I packed up that night, went home, and, and got through all six envelopes. And I guess in my mind, I thought, well, we were dealing with six kids who had some challenges historically. Now they were okay, and we were ready to hand them an award, right? Instead, what I read were six kids who hadn't quite gotten through their challenges. They were right in the middle of it. And somehow, on paper, seemed to be doing okay. So a week later, it's the day of the um, interviews, and I still remember this day. I was extremely nervous. Um, really? I wasn't ready for that emotional exchange. Yeah. Think about it. You know, I'd read some pretty dramatic stories from some of these kids. I can relate to and, that. And um, watching a kid walk in with six adults and having that kid have to walk through their background, which um, sometimes is, is, is not um, something that's very comfortable for them. And how that emotion would play out was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a nerve-wracking sort of experience. And the thing that blew me away was you see these kids on paper, you see the challenges, and then they come in with their heads high, their chest out, talking about college, talking about these amazing dreams. And, and I promise you, you will struggle to reconcile the child with the background. Somehow they are thriving in this environment with all of these challenges that you and I would just never even conceive of having to deal with. And I fundamentally, at that point, had a light bulb in my head go off, and that's what reminded me, this is what we do, right? This is exactly why we exist, to take a kid with those type of challenges and provide them an opportunity to thrive like that and to feel like they're no different than everyone else. In fact, to give them um, better skills, um, some training from a workforce, work, workforce excuse me, perspective um, and just support for them to thrive and to have that type of outcome uh, is a fantastic way for us to add value to the city of Houston and beyond. If you look at the downturns in the economy that we've been through in the past uh, 20 years, Houston has fared really, really well. 
there was something about the, the economic engine of the city that kept working. And it was kind of hard for me to understand until I saw people drive their boats into the water of Harvey and everybody helping each other. And it's like, well, that's got to be part of the reason why everybody has been able to stay employed or most people have been able to stay employed in the city. And there's an outpouring of, of caring that comes out of this community that I think is a little bit unusual. I think it might be a little bit more concentrated, more powerful than it is in a lot of other cities. I can tell you from experience, it's more powerful here in Houston than it was in Lyon when I was growing up in France. Uh, in Lyon, the French are more uh, used to relying on the government. There's a lot of socialist uh, government uh, programs implemented. They rely on that to fix the problems. And then there's Catholic charities. The end result is that there's an apathy. People are kind of complacent. Somebody yeah. else's job it is to take care of these problems. And since we don't have that in Houston uh, or in, in, in the U.S. or not as much, it's really up to the communities to rise up and to build these infrastructures. I don't know. It's, it just happens in Houston that it works better than in most other big cities in this country. And there's something about our culture. It's like lightning in a bottle. We should try to bottle it and distribute it. But ultimately, I think it's, it's the kind of success that you're talking about here. It's really just people caring a little bit more about each other. Yeah, no, look, I mean, uh, originally from Los Angeles again, and I will tell you that going through the Harvey experience made me a Texan. Yeah. Um, I, I hadn't experienced neighbors helping out neighbors on that scale before. And just seeing everyone trying to help out was a fantastic experience and a cultural experience. It was. So yeah. I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic, without you, a doubt. I like the way you said that. It was a cultural experience for you. It was for me, too, but I had never actually thought of it that way. But you're right. It it kind of uh, it fortified my, my Americanism, and it, it sort of explained a lot of things that I had understood about Houston society, but without having an opportunity to actually put a picture on it. And, you know, there's, it's a powerful picture to see a complete stranger hoisting a, an old woman into his boat right. to help her out of the, yep. of the flood. And, and it's symbolic, but it's also, it's, it's, it's also just, you know, it's bread and bones, so to speak. It's, it's, it's putting your money where your mouth is. That's right. And Houston's extremely generous, but I will say that the need is substantial. So there are over 740,000 kids in the greater Houston area that qualify for a free or reduced lunch. Yeah. Think about that number, 740,000. Yeah. That's bigger than a lot of cities around the United States. That's a big number. So we are a generous city, but there's a huge and massive need out there, and the kids need our support. Yeah, the, I guess there is a danger. We don't want to be com complacent. If we talk too much about how good this community is, then people are going to do what the French do in front of the government and the Catholic charities. They're going to start, take a step back and say, well, somebody else is going to take care of it. No, we're going to have to take That's care right. of it. You are listening to Houston PA, Houston's public affairs show. My name is Laurent, and my guests are here from Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. They are online at bgcgh.org, bgcgh.org. That, of course, stands for Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. My guests are Julius Young. He is the new chairman of the board of Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. It's such an awesome story that I have to repeat that he used to be a kid. He used to be one of the kids, a member of the club, and he is now spearheading their programs. It's, it's just it's a, it's a great story. And with him is Will Levin. He is a member of the board of directors of Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. Will divulge himself as a numbers guy before we started recording, and uh, you have some impressive numbers because uh, you serve a lot of kids, and uh, it seems to me that your organization is relatively small compared to the number of clients you have. In other words, you do a lot 
with a remarkably small number of people, or, or is that the wrong impression? I know sometimes you get the Astros to come in, so or, or the Texans, or both. Both. And, yeah, and so the Rockets get, as well. Oh, and the Rockets. Okay, yeah. so there's a, that's a lot of people. But how many people actually run this organization? You know, I'm, I am a numbers guy, but I'm, I don't know <laughs> that answer. I'm, I'm not going to give you an answer that's not right. Do you know, Julius, what the total number is? I, I don't, but your perception is correct, yeah. right? It's a we, few dozen, right? We, uh, no, it's more than that. Yeah? It's more yeah. than that. But... Um, we, we can leverage a lot out of our footprint and with our club directors who are amazing individuals. But um, your point is right. That leverage is significant for How us. How many clubs do you have? We've got 22 clubs. Yeah. So, okay. So that's, that's, okay. So you have a lot of clubs, which means that you have a, lot, a large staff. That explains. But still, isn't the staff very small compared to the number of kids that come through the, the building? I mean, you're, you're, you're talking about it's kind of a teacher situation, right? One person can. Ty- can typically, yeah, Laurent, you have a program director and then there'll be other. Uh, part-time uh, folks working at the clubs, and as Julius mentioned in our conversation, a lot of them are former club kids themselves. Yeah. And um, what, what really where the opportunity is, as Julius mentioned, we're serving 25,000 kids, which is amazing. The need is 740,000 kids. So with that in mind, you know, we do have our annual dinner coming up on April 22nd. It honors Phillips 66 and the George Foundation. And this is our biggest money maker of the year, and it's our biggest uh, charitable event. And uh, we, as the kids, only pay five dollars per child. It's critical that we raise the money so that we can keep helping more kids. And uh, along those lines, what we've done is we've tried to do more with less. So we've co-located a number of these clubs as we've gone through growth with existing structures and infrastructure at schools, uh, so that there's a school. It's already there. So we come in after school and have a have the Boys and Girls Club program located at the school itself. And it's a way to leverage it, you know, without having a big footprint and having to pay for all that. Yeah, you don't leverage, pay the rent. Right. But space is already there. Let's take advantage of it. Um, the thing that I mentioned to you earlier I think is critical. We found that um, with outcomes, when these kids come to the clubs 52 times a year, so once a week, here's what happens. Uh, they're 46% more likely to volunteer on a regular monthly basis. less likely to get into a fight, 40% more likely to be on track to graduate high school on time, 19% less likely to ever skip school, and 18% more likely to expect to attend college. Out of our membership, 57% of our members attend at least 52 times a year based on 2019. So over the overwhelming majority of your kids come to the club every week, basically. That's true. So it's it's been more so... We, we've really, our management team and the club directors have done a terrific job in driving those numbers higher over the last four years. So, again, we're doing more with less. How are you doing that? How are you encouraging parents to, to send their kids more regularly? What, what, what kind of... You know, I, I think there's a couple of things going on. One is, one is marketing. You know, we're out, yeah. especially, the, I say we, but it's the club directors that are really running this, that are out in the community encouraging uh, their the parents and the kids to come on in it's letting them know that the cost is five dollars it's not five dollars a week or five dollars a month it's five dollars for the whole school year I have to ask why charge five dollars if you're only charging five dollars you have 25,000 kids right yeah. so that ends up being a big chunk of money that you can do something with well, is that it, right it, no because if the kids can't afford it we'll, we will waive it but we found that <laughs> just the symbolic yeah action of having them pay something things otherwise get devalued and we we want we want this buy-in from the community 
even if it's an, it, it's nominal to you and I, but to some of these kids' families that they've got to make a decision about what don't they what don't they purchase for five dollars? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also, it, it could come out of their food. Uh, exactly. We've talked a lot about this subject on this show. How uh, the rent is not a flexible amount of money. The food budget is a flexible amount of money. You have to pay your full rent, but you don't have to get a full plate uh, of food at night. And that's most often the first sacrifice, which is cruel, because especially for children who need the nutrients, they need the rest. I mean, you know, they're growing, so they need enough food to go to sleep and and, and keep growing. And if you remove food, it's like removing sleep. You're just you're literally removing the opportunity they have to grow their brain and to learn. You get to the point where the kids are sometimes so tired and so hungry they don't learn a thing in school. And that's why those free meal programs that are sometimes reviled by people that I don't, I don't understand and I don't think they understand what's going on either. That is, it is one of the mo- least expensive things that we can afford to do. And we can afford to do it. And by giving them a decent breakfast and a decent lunch, we can't do anything about them playing video games all night long. But at least they're not hungry. We provide meals, actually, at the clubs as well. Really? So they come after school and they get a nice goûter, as they say in France? (laughs) I don't know what that is, but we'll go with that. It's a a four o'clock break. The Germans like to have coffee and cake. The French like to have goûter. It's after school. You come home and you have some cookies and some milk or something, you know, something kid, just because the kids are are hungry. Their stomachs are smaller. They had lunch at 12. It's not 4.30. And they're not going to eat until in France it's 8.30 or something like that. So there's kind of like a break meal. Well, and with the clubs, it's a little different. Some of these children will not get, this is their meal. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. So it's so more of a, it's it's a dinner-like, it's a healthy, nutritious meal. It, it's not going to be uh, cookies and milk uh, because this may be their last meal of the day. Yeah. Bringing them into the clubs, as Julia said earlier, it's a safe place where they can have fun, but really we've evolved the clubs where it's more than just having fun. They're getting everything from tutoring in, in school to athletics, yeah. to nutrition, um, to also talking about you know different different situations. How do you act and, and talking through some issues? So th- these club directors and the folks that work there are really mentors to these kids. They do a fundamentally spectacular job, and they they're not getting rich off of it. They're doing this because this is their this is their passion. Yeah. Well, you two are volunteers, right? Are you actually do, do, can they afford to pay you to do what you do? At the... <laughs> no, it's yeah. all volunteers. Yeah. This is yeah. all volunteer. But the point that Will made needs to be amplified, though, which is for a lot of folks, if they ever have the opportunity to see a boys and girls club, they may see a basketball gym, they may see um, a soccer field, right, and think it's um, play all about sports and play, mm-hmm. right? And that's the hook. Yeah. Okay. Now the idea is to get kids in the facility and then arm them with the programming that takes place and that's where the power of the of the platform plays out yeah the kids that visit your clubs more than 52 times a year aren't going to see the astros every week right they're they're doing things that are actually more interesting but on the other hand what a great hook you are listening to houston pa houston's public affairs show my name is laurent and my guests are here from boys and girls club of greater houston will levin is a member of their board of directors and julius young is their chairman of the board and he's also he used to be a kid so he just mentioned how a lot of the people that mentor the kids at boys and girls club of greater houston used to be members of the club as children and it's, I think he is. You, you feel you feel like the walking proof of concept of everything we're talking about. You're obviously successful and, and prosperous, and you've come back to do something which I'm sh- I'm guessing you were pulled by your soul and your heart back to this place, right? You've, did you actually feel like you owed them something, or was it just out of no? I I want to I want to make sure that I'm part of this. 
Yeah, I mean, when you say them, I felt like I owed the kids something. Yeah? Right. Um, yeah, look, I mean, the, the club was around to support me when I was younger. And when I grew up, I really didn't appreciate what the other kids around the organization were going through. The organization didn't allow me to see that. Right. So I didn't know that my peer to my right or my peer to my left um, maybe have challenges in terms of their last meal of the day, yeah. um, maybe have some challenges in their home, maybe some challenges with drugs. I just saw them as kids. And ultimately, when you see it as a board member and you see the challenges that a lot of these kids do have and the fact that they can actually thrive in an environment where they've got a physical place to go, either after school or otherwise, um, there's just a power there that I believe um, I can be impactful by spending my time there. So my engagement immediately once I moved uh, from the West Coast again to Houston was I, I want to be impactful to the kids. And the Boys and Girls Club was the perfect platform and organization that I remembered for a long time to do that through. You can't really go wrong with education either. I think that uh, you can only make mistakes that are eminently correctable. You know, you can if you if you try to teach something good to someone and you don't teach it well, then the result is that they may not understand it. Well, you just could go back to it, explain it to someone else yeah, in I, a different I just, way. I just right. I just don't see how you can go wrong. Yeah, helping out a kid in need. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes you feel good, but it's also extremely impactful. And like I mentioned earlier. A lot of these kids don't need a lot, but there's some basic needs that they have that we're there to support. Let me give a shout out to Kevin Hattery, who's the actual president and CEO of Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. He's in Washington advocating for education and kids. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. But, Will, I want to come back on this idea of frequency because I feel like we glossed over it way too fast. You mentioned the fact that when you can count that the children are members of the program and come to the clubs more than or 52 times or more, basically once a week, you actually see an exponential increase in the effects of this mentorship. Did I understand it correctly? You did. You did. And, and I think it's, you know, as we all think about helping, and we were talking earlier about what a special city Houston is, the need is massive. And this is this has a massive and demonstrable payback. You know, for those of us that are more um, data-centric yeah. like I am, I mean, just there's a bunch of stats, but the one that, that really jumps out at me is if you can get these kids to do this 52 times a year, 40% more likely to graduate high school and on time, and 18% more likely to expect to attend college. And, and this is how, you know, to Julius's point earlier, this is how you open up opportunities to these kids. They don't need special treatment. They just need a, a fair shot. And um, th this is a great opportunity to give them a fair shot. And, and along those lines, I've, I've been talking about on the raising money side, but really... If the parents listening and you want to uh, get your child involved or find out where our offices are at 815 Crosby on the edge of downtown, come on in. If you don't, if you have access online, you can also look us up online and uh, see what the where the local clubs are. And we, you know, we'd love to have your children involved in taking part in these wonderful programs. Obviously, you can look for Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston, or you can just go directly to their website, bgcgh.org. Bgcgh.org. You have programs which allow children to go have life, professional experiences in, in, in big companies or small companies. It's extremely important for us. And just to um, uh, talk about the comment you just made, you know, I think there's another benefit that we reap economically in Houston to helping out some of the more economically challenged areas and kids in those areas. Right? Uh, Houston has benefited from a great economic run for a long period of time. But this city is going to need uh, even more workers. 
And we need to make sure everyone has access from a workforce perspective. They need to have the training. They need to have the ability to uh, get involved and, and to, to add to this economic uh, growth that this particular region of the country has benefited from for a long time. What are we doing? We're creating situations for our kids to be exposed to things that likely otherwise they wouldn't even yeah. know about. Right. So most recently we had Gulf States Toyota into our clubs and they talked about uh, career opportunities within the auto industry uh, globally, uh, but also career opportunities locally and gave the kids some exposure to what it meant to to uh, essentially build and sell cars. Yeah, and it was fascinating. I mean, he, he, the CEO there did a great job of walking through the entire process. And I think it was a very unique experience for those kids that they n- never otherwise would have had the opportunity to listen to and hear and be part of. So you mentioned Toyota on April 22nd at the Hilton Americas. You are having the Great Futures Dinner. It's, it's your major fundraiser. Mm-hmm. It's one of those big affairs at the Hiltons of America. So obviously it's going to be a nice hotel. You guys are going to do something very nice. Um, but uh, you've got Evander Holyfield coming in to speak. The boxer, the, yeah. the world champion boxer. You guys are going to get to meet him. That's kind of cool, right? I, he, I, I've my impression of him is that he's a real character, but I, I, I only know what I've seen in brief clips on TV. But on the other hand, he's not somebody I want to make mad. But here's another guy <laughs> who has achieved things that his experience is so rare. I mean, very few people box, and then very few people box well, and then what, three or four actually become world champion every generation. And, and here's this guy who, who, who must be a beacon of, of coolness to the kids. So are, are some of the kids going to be able to take part of this event? Because I know it's, it's, it's a fundraiser, so it's for the grown-ups. But yeah. are you going you gonna to give the, uh, the kids the opportunity to mingle a little bit? or The, the kids are actually on uh, center stage. Oh, yeah? So each table typically consists of 10 folks, and uh, two of them are children that are chosen by the different clubs to come in and yeah, I, I think uh, advertise. Yeah. And I think Evander Holyfield <laughs> yeah. is, is much more interested uh, in interacting with the kids than you know that with, with us generally. But uh, he's also an, he was an Olympian in 1984 as well. And uh, so I, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of wisdom and maybe a little bit of fear that he can impart on that day during the bidding uh, for for charitable donations. <laughs> And uh, actually, originally where I was going to go before I, I, I kind of got lost on Evander Holyfield. It's a big thing. You know, it's a, it's a cool thing that he's coming in and, and that he takes the job to do these things. But you're, uh, you're honoring Phillips 66 and the George Foundation. And I'm the public affairs show, so, you know, we don't usually promote for-profit organizations. But when someone like McDonald's funds the Children's Festival, it's worth talking about them. Yeah, and so the George Foundation is not for-profit. It's foundation, and, and the, obviously oh. Phillips 66 is. Yeah. A profitable publicly traded company and they've just been terrific partners of ours for many years uh, they've donated not only uh, substantial sums of money but in, especially in the case of Philip 66 their employees have volunteered and they've spent time uh, volunteering at the clubs as well but they've been longtime partners of ours uh, from a financial perspective as well and we thought it was appropriate to honor them I mentioned this before the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston has a lot of programs we talked about the mentorship that uh, they have when they send kids into commercial organizations uh, big companies to get an experience with all these corporate mavens and and, and you know just open the door that it's not it's not something that is out of reach for them too 
They have a bunch of other cool programs, including some summer camps. Uh, there's a book nook learning program where I guess the kids are able to have access to one of those electronic e-readers called the Nook. They're awesome. Uh, and uh, there's a bunch of STEM workshops. There's the Best Buy Teen Tech Center program. There's a Math Express. And uh, there's the NASA Astro Camp. And I guess that will be my last question. That sounds cool. What's the NASA Astro Camp? <laughs> well, what, th what they do is they take uh, the, the club kids uh -huh. to, uh, to NASA, and <laughs> they get to experience you know, life as an astronaut for a period of time. And, and now this, this doesn't come free. Um, if you join in the summer, it, it costs $20, again, for the entire summer to, for these kids to attend everything during the day. And so if you think about the practicality of this, you have two working parents. What's the thing they're worried about most? They're kids that are at home. Um, and, and this enables them to do things that are enriching them. If you look at the statistics, kids, the, the biggest issue for kids is that they fall, kids of, um, of less economic means fall behind in the summer because they're not getting that enrichment. Yeah. Here at the Boys and Girls Clubs over the summer, they get that enrichment. They get to be astronauts. So and is it's this, a wonderful program. Are your summer programs, which only cost $20, programs that occupy these kids every day? Like these, these are weekday programs for yes. $20 all summer? Yeah. It's extraordinary. Thanks to the corporate sponsors, obviously. That's, mm -hmm. We were just talking about that. It's possible for you guys to charge only $20 because of their gifts, I guess. Right. We, so, uh, 90, 95% of our budget is from uh, donors, both individual, corporate, foundations. And so we welcome, uh, if anyone's interested in learning more, come on by. We'll set up a, uh, a visit. You can learn about the clubs and uh, get involved. You can also go to bgcgh.org, bgcgh.org. Of course, that stands for Boys and Girls Club of Greater Houston. Uh, listen, $5 makes a difference in an organization like that because we're a community. And even if you were only to donate a dollar, you just accumulate all those small donations and they become a huge gift for an organization, a huge windfall. And uh, so don't hesitate. If you go to the website, and I know sometimes I've received emails from people who says, you know, I think about donating sometimes, but I really couldn't donate more than $5. And my answer to that is always, if you feel like donating $5 and you can do it makes a huge difference for the organizations it actually does we are not helpless just because we don't have a lot of money on the country and also obviously if you have some elbow grease to donate if you would like to volunteer that's exponentially more valuable if you have any questions related to my show folks send me an email texanfromfrance at gmail.com texanfromfrance at gmail.com you can also go to iheart.com search for Houston PA and that'll bring up the list of past shows I'm pretty proud of and I want to thank you for listening and caring about the issues I put on this show. Let's remember to be good to ourselves, and uh, we can even be good to someone else at the same time, too. My name is Laurent. I am the Texan from France, and this has been Houston, PA. Houston's public affairs show, Houston Strong. <laughs>